Greetings, horror homies. Welcome to 2021 and our first pod of the new year. I specifically wanted to save this one for New Year's as we're interviewing an amazing lady who's a very huge inspiration to me, Miss Rhonda Shear. She's obviously gorgeous, but she's also brilliant and hilarious, and she's done a lot to pave the way for many female comedians and entertainers, and now she's a freaking entrepreneur. She is just awesome, and she inspires me to get off my ass and kick the shit out of the new year, and I think maybe she'll have that effect on you, too. Thank you so much to my trusty sidekick, Joe Bob, for joining me, and thanks, too, to everyone who submitted a question from this year. I think we covered a lot of what you guys are most curious about with her. So without further ado, here is the one and only Miss Rhonda Shear of All Night Fame. Thanks for listening, fiends. Love you. Hi, homies. I am here today with the amazing Rhonda Shear and my sidekick, (laughs) Mr. Joe Bob Briggs. Thank you so much for being here, Rhonda. It's amazing to talk to you. Oh, it's amazing to talk to both of you. This is so exciting. Absolutely. I'm a, I've had a crush on Joe Bob for years. Oh, you're lying now. <laughs> I got some hot video of us from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I, you know, I bet you I know where that video is from. We, we did a show with Count Floyd. Exactly. Um, we did. Well, oh, I've seen that one, yeah. What was that, late 90s, Joe it Flaherty? Was, was, we, yeah. we, had to talk, we had to talk Joe Flaherty into putting on the Count Floyd makeup. He had not put it on for years, and uh, he did his Count Floyd thing, and you were great, and we were taking advantage of uh, the notoriety <laughs> of both of you. To, that <laughs> to, was great. To, that was to, awesome. Yeah, that was, a, that was a, a memorable show. I can't even remember the movies, but I remember you and, you and Joe both being amazing on the show. Absolutely fun. I mean, I, I didn't remember it either. It's, you know, I have all these fabulous videotapes that I've been storing for a million years and um, slowly but surely we've, we're putting them all up on YouTube. So I know that's gone up on YouTube under Rhonda Shear TV somewhere on YouTube. And um, the, uh, my staff, you know, so I have, a, um, you know, video, you know, a director, producer on staff. And boy, when he finds like gold like that, he goes crazy, he goes, oh my goodness, Joe Bob Briggs and Count Floyd. Yeah, <laughs> it's so classic. How many hours of Rhonda Shear video exists? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, we haven't put up everything because I did just a, a, a crazy amount of television in the 90s, a lot of talk shows and hosting of talk shows that probably no one ever knew that I did along with acting. So, and also up all night, um, or I should say up all night. (laughs) We would never ask you to do that. I would ask. (laughs) Absolutely. I have to do it that way. So we did 450 shows. So um, that was a lot. You know, I mean, I know you've, you've gone over that at this point, but, (laughs) but that was in a period of time. We were never down. So, um, so we're slowly getting, all that footage, as much of it as we have. We, I have most of it. I mean, I, I, I may be missing about 30, 40 shows out of all those shows, which isn't bad. Well, wow. were, were, you, were, were you on the, you were not on the same night as Gilbert, right? As Gilbert no. Gottfried. You were no. on alternating no. nights, right? Yeah. On, I was on Friday night um, for eight years and Gilbert was on Saturday night. And what was interesting before me, there was a girl named Caroline Schlitt who was there for a year, a year and a half. And, and, I, and, you know, I watched Caroline and, and people will still go, oh, I love her. She was really good. She was kind of like 
the kind of comedy that would be today. Like she was very, she was probably ahead of her, ahead of her time because they really wanted this sexy over the top character, which, you know, the second I got that audition, I was tired of being told that I can't do the girl next door. So I just went for it. You know, I, I went in there with a low cut dress and a blow dryer in my hand. And I just, just did a crazy character because, um, that's what they were looking. They were looking to replace her. But, you know, if she was auditioning today, she would have been way more in tune, I think, than for today's comedy. But she's a very attractive girl who's no longer in the, in the industry. But um, Are you saying you you had been typecasted as being sexy over the top? <laughs> well, I had been typecasted. And so I was trying to play against that for most of my career. And then finally, I was doing stand-up. That I started doing stand-up in 1984, 85. And so when Up All Night came along in 1990, at the end of 1991, no, beginning of 1991, I finally said, okay, I'm tired of trying to play the girl next door. I'm just going to play what they see me as. And, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and then, of course, after Up All Night was over, I was, you know, I was stuck with that, that, you know, unfortunately for acting right after that, because I used my own name instead of like Cassandra Peterson using Elvira, I used Rhonda, so people did not differentiate between the character and me. But anyway, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so when I you actually, were, when you were doing your stand up, were you like seducing the audience? Were you being uh, ultra sex potty? I started that way when I first started. When I very first started, before Up All Night, so I started in like the mid eighties, and I didn't really. It takes a long time in stand up to find your voice. You probably know this. Like oh, it took. God, yes. No, I never found my voice. I, <laughs> I sucked at stand up. <laughs> well, you know, you have to be really real. So I would, I mean, at least, unless you're this incredible character that, you, I mean, some people can pull it off, but you know, I, it took me, you know, six years, seven years before I really became comfortable in my own skin. I was trying to do this like high pitched voice. So what was funny is that when I did stand up, I wasn't the same character necessarily that they saw on up all night, but it, up all night. <laughs> and it was very accepted. And, um, and I, and I'm definitely, um, you know, finally, I think I've gotten away from the character. It's actually hard for me to, to find the Rhonda character again, which is really interesting. You know, well, were you doing like your stand-up character? Was it like a Marilyn Monroe type thing? No, no, it wasn't. It was more. It was more me. Um, I did wear, you know, short skirts that were in style, as they never have gone out of style. I don't guess. I mean, I wore, you know, clothes that, you know, you would wear. A lot of women downplay their looks and their their bodies when they get up on a stage. I mean, it's getting better now, but certainly back in the eighties, everybody kind of dressed down, didn't wear a lot of makeup. They wore jeans and sweatshirts. I didn't downplay that. I wore sexier clothes on stage, not necessarily low cut, but short skirts and boots and all that. But I, I was much more of the Rhonda you're hearing now and um, did more self-deprecation, you know, about relationships. I wasn't hateful towards men like a lot of females were, were back then. I didn't put down guys. I would just, it was more about myself. I had to, I had to make the women in the audience feel comfortable with me because they knew that I, they, I think they might've been a little afraid because I was a stuff all night character. So the first thing I would do as a headlining comic, which, you know, came along, you know, after six, seven years in, um, was I would I would talk to the women in the audience first, and once they were relaxed and realized that I wasn't out to flirt with their guy, it's just a subconscious thing. Then then everybody it was okay for everybody to laugh. But I loved stand up. Really, and, um, you loved it. Oh my goodness, stand up! I, I I won't do it now because I you know I feel like you know first of all it takes so much time to actually write and and then to go out and to get one joke right. You know you have to probably do it many many times. Oh, yeah. on so, I mean, I just don't, I, I, well, I don't even know if I have, don't, I don't have the time, but I also don't have that 
kind of drive that I did have, that hunger that I had back then. So I like being funny, and I still use that, but it's not necessarily uh, written. <laughs> now, did you did you actually go on the road and and play yeah. comedy clubs in the small yeah. clubs? Because I, I did. I did that for a while, and what what I'm what I'm what I'm remembering is they always had the comedy condo where they would put you yeah. up, and it was a very boys' club kind of place, and it was always kind of run down and messy and. Yeah. And, and full yes. of like empty beer bottles and stuff. Did they make you stay in those places? Well, it's very funny that you say that because when I started out and I was an opening act, I did anything to get to the stage. So I worked almost all 50 states doing comedy. And I don't even think people really know that, you know, not too many people realize that I really put my, paid my dues as a stand-up and worked all the places. But yes, they would put me in the comedy condo. And then one time, I, wait, one time I went into a condo and I saw literally blood on the wall. And oh, I found a, a, comic, a comic had a fight with his like middle act. I found it was, a, it was somebody well known. I won't mention names, but uh-huh. had a fight. And I guess threw the person against the wall. And when I saw that blood from that point out, I stayed. I, I basically spent my little money that I made because they didn't pay you that much for middle or opening acts. I, I, would, I would get like some, you know, a hotel, a motel, not a hotel. Red I, yeah, pretty Mark much. Right. I would not. I would not. After I saw that, I was so skeeved out about what was in the refrigerator, what was on the sheets. I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I, I was. I, I was on the road with the comedy clubs, like uh, probably a decade before you. And the thing that scared me was always the cocaine use. And so oh, yeah. I would do the same thing. I would flee to the uh, to the Motel Six myself. I'm sorry, you hit because of cocaine use. What you hid because of cocaine? Oh yeah, because they would be crazy. Ah, you know, the, the other two guys in the condo would be crazy. Exactly. I mean, he's right. I mean, the drinking. I mean, I saw more drinking. I'm sure there was other stuff going on, but maybe because I was a woman, I was lucky. I didn't have any bad like people trying to you know physically assault me or anything. I was lucky about that. <laughs> I never had any of that kind of stuff going on. But um, but most of the time, I did put myself in a. Um, in a in a in a, a motel, you know. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think most people realize how depressing it is to be around comedians. Oh, <laughs> it's so horrible! Oh my gosh! And they they're so doubtful about themselves. They're so insecure before they go on stage. They're so depressed. Will this work tonight? Will that? Especially, you know, when I was doing it, there was still wasn't that many women on the road, and it was still comedy club owners were like, "Well, women aren't funny." And then the, the thing, not just about, I mean, not about me, but just in women. No, I know that's just terrible. <laughs> but they were really hard. I mean, I have to say that I opened doors for a lot of women, like even Jenny McCarthy. Down, you know, later on came up to me and said, "Thank you for opening the do- a lot of doors in comedy." And I still hear that from women today, and that's you know, it's, it's it makes awesome. me feel really. Yeah, that's yeah, great. There are just, there are a lot more today. Um, so let, me, let me back you up a little bit because there are some things that I I kind of knew about you, but I never, you know, we never talked about or I never heard any uh, anyone else uh, talk about it. But you were you were like a superstar beauty pageant contestant back in your early uh, back when you were in college, I guess. And, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you won all the titles, <laughs> all the titles, all the titles in Louisiana. You were like just doing one pageant or another after and another. Louisiana's tough, man. It's like, oh, Louisiana is very tough. And were were you like? Did you start like at at um, at six years old? Or- I don't know. I, 
I didn't do any of the baby pageants. How it started was I was, I loved dance and I wanted to be a choreographer when I was young. And so there was a dance talent, dance talent pageant it's called, and they haven't all over the country still. It was the dance masters of Louisiana. And I wanted to win that desperately, which by the way, I never did. But anyway, <laughs> um, but because of that, I had never been in a pageant and I wanted to have the experience to know, I didn't know what to do in a pageant. I'd never been in any kind of pageant or contest. My mother was not a pageant mother, but she became one. Like she never pushed me into it. Now a woman came up to me and we were having a costume made for one of my dance recitals. And she saw me in this, this, this store and she goes, your daughter, she, her name was Mrs. Hamilton. Your daughter has to be in pageants. How old is she? And I was 14 at the time. She goes, oh no, she's got to wait till she's 16. And she needs to get a little bigger in the top. So go home and give her some peanut butter. Oh my God. <laughs> wait a minute. This is, this is a new wait, one for me. Peanut butter works? Peanut butter? Peanut I was, butter is your secret? Uh, yes, I, I guess I shouldn't have eaten that peanut butter because I definitely went overboard. Uh, no, it's just trust. <laughs> But I went back. I mean, my mother, we, Mrs. Hamilton stayed after me and she would she would put on or help put them on for all these various like the American Legion or, you know, the Pontchartrain Rodeo Queen. I mean, these crazy names down south. Pontchartrain Rodeo Queen is like the yeah. best title ever. I can't imagine. <laughs> That's great. I was a tarpon, tarpon rodeo queen. I was queen of the fish. Anyway, um, I didn't. I, I won 50 pageants, um, and, but I did wow. some 60. Who wins 50 pageants? <laughs> it wasn't a long career. I did it from 16 to 19. And in that time, my mother then desperately wanted me to be Miss America. So it was all about me getting to the Miss America pageant. So I won Miss Louisiana International, which Lindsay Bloom was wow. Miss Louisiana as a, a Miss International. Then I went on and won the Miss Louisiana USA pageant. Did not win the nationals. I was short. I'm 5'3", and usually the girls are so much taller. Um, and then I, I never, and then I won Miss uh, Louisiana Universe, Miss, Miss Louisiana World, which Bob Hope was one of the owners of that pageant. He actually hosted the year I was in it, which was really cool. Oh, so it was Miss National, Miss um, uh, world and Miss USA, but I, I, I take, I came out in the top five in, um, all of them, but I did not win any of them. What, was, what, what was your secret? Was, was dancing your talent? In all talent, unfortunately, none of those had talent in them at that time. Oh, I mean, wow. yeah, so I, it was just, it was, it was my, um, it's actually in my book. It was my, um, tilt and smile. I had this like way I would tilt my head. I, I had this, I actually have a funnier name for my book. I can't remember, but it was like, it, I had this whole way of walking that other girls started copying. I just had this like walk down <laughs> and, and, and I didn't want the judges to ever look at my butt. Cause I always hated my butt. So I would like make them look at my eyes and then I would do this quick spin. And I don't know. I, it was just oh, my little bit. Uh, <laughs> were, were the judges, uh, uh, mostly male or mostly female? Yeah, they were mostly male back then. Um, okay. Yeah, they were mainly male, but but when you got to the national level, they they weren't. But it was still like a boys' club. But I never knew anybody, so I never, you know, it wasn't like I won because I knew anybody. But you know, I'm kidding about it now. But I must tell you that the pageant system were so sweet, and I it it, it helped. I'm still friendly with girls that I was in pageants with. Um, they still reach out. We're friendly from even just the local pageants in New Orleans and Louisiana. And it, it, it did teach me grace and good sportsmanship and things like that, that I know people like everybody gets a ribbon now if you're in something, but it was competitive, but it was sweet competition. So I cannot put 
those years down at all. I think it, it taught me a lot. It also taught me how to speak in front of people on stage because they would ask the questions, of course. And um, it just, it just, you know, helped a young girl. I mean, I was 16 and by the time I was done, I, I was retired at 19. But well, I went out to LA and I didn't know anyone out there. So I didn't know how to get started again. So what I did was I entered the Miss Los Angeles Press Club contest. Wow. The first, the first, the first, the first queen was Marilyn Monroe and I was the last. They never held another one after. Oh, oh wow. That's amazing. That's like, I, I feel cheated because I hosted one of the Los Angeles Press Club Awards you shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there, was no, there was absolutely no beauty pageant part oh, of it. You know, so. just it. <laughs> no, it was kind of uncool. I think it came back uh, a couple of years. It wasn't a pageant, though. They basically just named someone, and it was Jerry Buss who owned the Lakers, his daughter, who's now the owner of the Lakers. But I think she was, I mean, she held the title, but it was no longer a contest. They just basically appointed her or whatever. And then I went into the Miss California pageant because my mother was still desperate for me to be in the Miss America pageant, even though now I was at the, at the old age of 22. Oh, yeah, aged out. <laughs> what, what's and, the um, age on Miss America? I think it was 25. I think it was okay. 25. But I, I won Miss Hollywood. But I never, um, I never did win the Miss California pageant. But that was okay. I was, I was really done with it. I was really doing it more for my mom at that point. But I did meet my first agents, so I, it did lead me to a lot of cool people and uh, just getting out there and, and you know, getting the, and getting the what, nerves. What was your first Hollywood job? Uh, my first Hollywood um, job was a, a Bob Hope special. Oh, well, really that's cool. that's amazing. You know. Yeah, and I. It was an open call. My agent said, "Oh, we've got this interview for for um, a Bob Hope special. Sorry about that. A Bob Hope special." And so I go, "Oh, that's cool." Thinking it's going to be me, and I don't know, like I don't know how many girls. I didn't know anything at that time. And I, I go, I go to NBC. That's where they held it, and there was girls lined up around the corner in swimsuits. And I was standing in line, you know, a little cover up in swimsuit. I stood in line. I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm used to this. I was in pageants. I can do this." So I stood there and with about five to 700 women. And then they narrowed it down to 50 and the 50 women went in front of Bob Hope himself the next day. And then he selected me. And I actually have photographs of him actually selecting me. Like it was so cool. Like NBC oh was taking you, you have won every contest except Miss America. <laughs> I know. Is it too late? <laughs> I think so, man. Go for it. <laughs> Now it was much better in the days when I, you know, it was just much more classic. You couldn't wear back in those days. You couldn't. They called it. This is showing my age. You couldn't have falsies, which when now women have implants, but you couldn't. They would check to see if you were wearing any fake padding in your in your oh swimsuit. God, that's so invasive. You couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't wear fake lashes. What? So you know, no. you, know you couldn't do any of these things. They really wanted this, you know, natural look. I mean, you could wear makeup. Right. So um, it was just a different different time well if if um i mean today um or i i don't know in 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 my era um if if a young uh starlet comes to hollywood um they have her do a lot of sexy walk-ons and sitcoms and things like that did they have you do those yeah i did a lot of that i mean i had to audition for them and there was a, a million other women doing that as a matter of fact that was you know it was definitely the the era of the jiggle. I mean, that's what they would call it. it was the, <laughs> I mean, that's what they actually call it. It was the years of Charlie's Angel. I mean, everything you audition. I think I, I've spent more time in a swimsuit auditioning for things. 
Um, and um, so I did a lot. Happy Days, Three's Company, Married with Children, Dukes of Hazard, millions of those. So, um, I mean, I, and it was great. It was, I, mean, I have a long list of credits from, from, you know, and a lot of Bambies and Brenda's. And- <laughs> <laughs> so, so by the time um, uh, Up All Night comes along, does it seem like just another job or does it seem like a better job? Does it seem like another sexy girl job or does it seem? Like- you know, I, I, it's, so, it's such good questions you're asking. Um, no, is it seems like. like- <laughs> really good he really is um so you know what it is is i wanted to be a regular on a sit why i moved to la is i loved the, the world of sitcom i loved comedy and i was in harvey lembeck's um do you, you know who harvey lembeck is do you do you remember who harvey is boy it's really familiar but you harvey was, um, i'm trying to think um eric von zipper on the in the beach movies oh yeah 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 absolutely absolutely yeah he was also in that other sitcom which i'm blanking on the name of okay well um, Harvey Lembeck was the king of teaching, com- like everybody, Robin Williams went there. I mean, every major comic started in a Harvey Lembeck class. And Harvey was the meanest, toughest coach on the planet. And I got into his class and I mean, I don't think he ever called me Rhonda. He called me um, <laughs> Hey Girl or whatever. I don't know. But I tell you what, you overcame all your fear because you, you just pushed on the stage and into a situation. And I loved comedy and I was desperate to do a sitcom. And, you know, I kept getting cast at that time as, as these walk-on roles, you know, the sexy girl, the sexy girl. And, you know, it, Happy Days would use me over and over, but still not a, a regular part. So by the time Up All Night came along and it was a decade later, I was just desperate for it to be a regular. And I, I was probably my own worst enemy because I was always told by managers down the line that I was unmanageable because I never wanted to wait. I always wanted to get my own jobs because I felt like I was better at getting my own jobs. And that's why I did stand up because you cast yourself in stand up. You direct yourself, you produce it, you write it. And, you know, basically it's a comedy club owner that you have to work for. But so I felt. Are you more- saying that your agents and managers were saying um, you, you should be more patient and wait for us to get you the good job instead of yeah. going off on a going off yeah. on your own stuff like that? Yeah. So basically I did a little bit of everything. So when people read my book, they go, oh my gosh, you did everything. And, but that's because of me. I mean, I would just do everything and anything. I mean, I did, and I mean, not bad stuff. I didn't, like I didn't a, good, a, a good thing. Even if- no, it was a good thing. I mean, if, it, if I wouldn't have done any of all the things I did then, then I would not have the successful career as a designer in the intimate apparel world today. So looking back on it, it was just preparing me for the life, a second career later on. So I I have no um, regrets of doing that at all because I wanted to work and up all night was eight solid years of doing a show once a week. And, you know, I I had that taste of celebrity status and the limos and the paparazzi calling my name. And and, um, How, how how did USA treat you? Great. Yep. They were great. Because we had no limos at TNT. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't always. It was, it was I would go, what happened was the show was in, um, it'd be, in the first year they treated me like gold. It was like crazy. And then it just became, you know, it was never like my pay was real high. Um, the, sh- the show cost nothing to produce, but it was bringing in so much cash for advertising. And they would actually send me out on, on, um, like dinners to go talk with pe- the advertising people from like Budweiser. I mean, we did these live, not live, but like seemingly live, um, you know, commercials that would, that would play within the show. So gosh, I was like doing everything. I was getting the advertisers. 
I had no, I mean, I really met great people during that time. But um, so anyway, years later, though, they, they decided. They didn't want the advertisers to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they definitely knew that I was worth my weight in gold in the PR world because I, I knew how to get PR and marketing. I mean, I had a lot, got a lot of articles for them, but they changed presidents at some point in there. And when they did that, he wanted to save some money and wanted to bring the show back to New York because Gilbert was filmed out in New York. And even though they had a, an office in L.A., the, um, you know, the home base for USA was New York. So they said, hey, either you come to New York, we'll fly you out. You can bank some shows or we're going to just hire someone else. So they, they were nice, but it wasn't like they were begging me. Um, but I was like, I- I'm flying out. So for from 95 to 98, I did, you know, the the different shows and almost every year I had a different producer and a different director. So everyone thinks it was just the sexy, sexy character. And that was really 91, 91 through 93. But then if you start watching from 94 to 98, yeah. very, very different. We covered events. I did a, a more acting. I, I played Lucille Ball. We did like parodies of Lucy and I dream of Jeannie. We, we did a lot of things that were way more what I really loved. And right. it was definitely a little acting. I worked with a lot of actors out of New York. So the show changed through the years, but I think people just remember those early, really, you know, which I created the character. Let's, let's, let's have her sit in a big bed with her teddy bears. <laughs> right. You know, you know it was awesome. I saw, I saw a picture of you recently where you're at WrestleMania 10 yeah. with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> what, what was that all about? <laughs> Well, I was, okay, so WWF back then was aired on USA Network, so um, uh, they reached out to me. Yeah, it was very cool. So they reached out to me to do a lot of cross-promotion. So I covered a lot of the wrestling events, and they would even have me, like, um, Shawn Michaels, who was one of the big wrestlers, they had me, like, pretend like I was having an affair with him, and I went out to Vegas, and we we did all these crazy shoots together. Because it was just cross-promotion for USA. But then when uh, WWF 10 came along, they asked me, you know, they hired me to be their bell girl. And so, um, which they paid a lot of money for that. And so uh, Burt Reynolds was was one of the celebrities in it. Um, I can't think of her name, but she was on 90210. Um, I'm just blanking on the gal's name right now. But, you know, there's there's different celebrities that they hired to do different things. Anyway, I knew Burt. I just knew him. I never worked with him. Well, I did. I worked with them on a on an infomercial years ago. That was crazy, but um, but they somehow like made this whole story up that I had some big affair, and it ran on like the cover of not the Inquirer, but one of those. I forget a the big name affair with Bert. Yes, and it, it came out on the front page, and then I get a call from Bert Reynolds, not the Inquirer, but I can't remember the different names of all those Examiner, one of those magazines. So he calls me and he goes, "Did you plant this?" Because he was still like breaking up with Lonnie then, and I'm like, "Oh my God, no! I'm not sure if he believed believe me at first. I'm like, no, I would never." And it like said, and then I have some some literally some some person from the magazine call me, I, I guess a reporter. That's what you want to call him and said, we have pictures of you and Bert backstage doing the naughty. I'm like, oh, really? Well, I'd like to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's so wrong. (laughs) I mean, mean, literally someone telling you what they saw and making talk about fake news, right? Oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Bert realized I had nothing to do with it. And it was, you know, I guess all PR is good PR. But, you know, people talked about that for years. You and Bert dated. I'm like, I never dated Bert. He was very, he used to call me every now and then. We'd talk on the phone, but. He was never um, a bow <laughs> or anything else. How were you ever able to leave the warm and supportive world of Hollywood and cable TV? 
Well, no, it's funny that you say that because um, I hit 40. I look at JLo now, who's like, you know, in her early 50s, I guess, or 50, 51, who's spectacular looking and amazing and looks the same age as she's always done. But when I hit 40, I thought my expiration date was over. And, and I had never been married and, you know, up all night was, you know, over or, and at least, you know, they had decided everything was going to change at USA Network. So I got really nervous about, you know, I really think I need to get into like, as they would say down South where my mother's from, I need to find myself a husband. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was still, I was still doing stand up. Stand up was keeping the lights on because, um, you know, I, I didn't have a series and I was, it was really hard for me to get cast in anything. So, um, and I had spent a lot of money thinking that the show was never going to end. Anyway, long story short, uh, doing stand up and I started dating, like just like dating, dating, dating. I mean, I had a long-term boyfriend, but I knew I was never going to marry him. So I just started dating for, um, <laughs> for fine dining and to find a husband. So <laughs> literally, um, I, I did find a couple of good guys in there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my, and this is like about a year or two after Up All Night was over, my husband, who's my now husband, reached out to me through classmates.com. And um, I mean, that was like huge back then. And I'm like, he was my first love. He was my first boyfriend when I was 12 years old or whatever Whoa. that is at 12. Wow. First sweetheart. I met him at 12 and 13. I mean, we, we were together. I mean, together, whatever kids are. I mean, we were, we were Did good you do kids. Fine dining? <laughs> Smooching, but it was okay. And um, so for 12 to six, 12 to 15 or 12 to 16, I was, you know, we, we dated. And then I started, my mother wanted me to date other guys. I was a kid. And so, you know, we broke up and he was always mad at me over that. Long story short, we got together through classmates.com. Um, he reached out to me three months later, we got together and um 15 days later we eloped (laughs) it was just that he was so different from all the guys i dated comics and and you know not i never i should have dated a lot of the people that i let go by what that were really nice people but my mother had me so afraid that everybody was going to accost me and and it was just like she had me terrified of my own shadow so i was very protective of myself so i really hid behind a couple of guys that i had long-term relations with who were very sweet comics in the business but i knew they weren't going to be my forever people but um um van was just so different he wasn't an actor he wasn't fighting for the mirror space he was you know he i went with him back to his house in lafayette louisiana where he was still living in in louisiana and he showed me the house that he built with his own hands and i was like oh my gosh this guy is a man like i've dated guys they don't have to literally screw in a light belt oh, bulb. Yeah. And and, lafayette um, that's that's hardcore louisiana And then, I mean, we were both from New Orleans, but he had moved to Louisiana through the years and had married and had been married 23 years. When he reached out to me, he had been divorced um, almost into two years. So, and I was the first love and he hadn't really, he'd been dating a little bit, but he thought of me because you were always my first love and he cooked for me. And I think that's what did it. (laughs) At the time I didn't cook and Van cooked with his homemade meal with the fish he caught and, um, and I just fell in love and 15 days later we eloped and, you know, I, it's been great. I mean, he's, he really is my soulmate and my first love. And, um, now, yeah. now listen, no, no, no Rhonda interview would be complete unless I ask you about your bra. It's like <laughs> the most famous bra, you sell the most famous bra in, 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 in the history of the universe or something, you know? Before you talk about it, before you talk about it, it's called the Abra, and so Mm -hmm. I always wondered: is it 
Is it, ah, it feels so good, or, ah, (laughs) (laughs) the best bra I ever saw? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think when I coined the phrase, I'd already been saying it on air on Home Shopping Network. And literally, I was on one day, I was on with one of my favorite hosts, and I said, you know, when I put this bra on, it's like, ah. And I went, I, I, in my mind, that moment, I went, this is the name of this bra moving forward. And it's not the aha bra, like aha. <laughs> so um, it, the, the, the bra, we've been doing that bra since 2003. We did an infomercial that was my husband's idea in 2011. It exploded. We sold 35 million of them worldwide. And um, it's, it's to this day, as, we, as far as we know, it's one of the best selling, if not the best selling bras of all time. And is that because um, it's it, comfy or? Yeah, it's very universal. It's not, it's fit from like small to 3X. So it's not like fit like traditional women's bras, you know, where you, there is a, like a 34, you could be a B or a C or a D or a W, you know, it's like women don't know their own bra size, but most women know what they wear in a blouse or a top or a t-shirt. Yeah. So it's, it's fit like apparel. And so our line is pretty much based that way on everything that we've learned that that works the best that most women just know what size they wear on a top. So anyway, it's very universal and it took off and it just put a big light on our line. And thank goodness we've, our, our, our business just exploded after that. that, That's, that's great. There aren't that many actresses turned entrepreneurs turned business CEOs. And so that's amazing. I was going to ask you the question, but this is a stupid question, but my, There's my, no such thing. my grandmother used, always used the term, that. my grandmother always used the term brassiere. Yeah. Does anybody say brassiere anymore? They don't. They is don't. that an actual word anymore? <laughs> you know, my sister, still, my sister, my, she's old, she's 16 years older than me calls it a brassiere. I'll say, Nona, have you tried this? She hates, she, she, she hates everything I sell. She only wants to wear something that is like as light as a Band-Aid. It's hysterical. She hates bras. She, I think she must have burned them in the 60s. She just hates all of them. But she's so funny. She goes, do you have a new brassiere? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the, what's the effect of COVID on bra sales? Uh, well, it's very interesting about that. So in our business, because we are direct to consumer, even through HSN, we have, um, we, when we sell bras, you know, HSN buys our product and then I go on air to sell it. I'm actually a vendor. I'm not, I don't just rep my line. We're actually, you know, like you said, the, the, the business behind it. But um, once you sell intimate apparel, it has to be destroyed when it's returned, supposedly. Like all stores are supposed to do that, but they don't. So when any, when somebody's getting and buys a product from me and it's direct to consumer, whether it comes from my website or many other sites that I sell on, and if they return it, it doesn't go back into, um, it does, it can't get sold again. Is that COVID or just always? It's always. Mm. So it's kind of, I mean, although I have been in department stores and I've tried things on that I, mm, not so good when, <laughs> so I actually, so buying it is actually much safer and much healthier. Uh, we have a, we have a scrap agreement, so HSM will actually scrap products, which is really interesting. I mean, that, that's just been since we've been with them, which has been I've been on the air now with HSM's our largest customer still to this day, eighteen years, which is pretty phenomenal. But I did want to thank you for the compliment that you gave me. Um, I, I was on when I was doing my little book tour in LA, and I went on Channel Five or one of the local stations. They were so nice to me, and I'm like. 
my gosh, I've been on here in the past for like when, as an actress, but they couldn't get over the fact that I was an entrepreneur. They were, they said the same thing that you did. They're like, nobody ever does that. And I, I but I mean, there's a few, there's, there's a, there's a few actors that obviously end up, you know, investing in things and people who do very well, but probably not too many that literally, you know, leave one career and then end up going into being, <laughs> becoming well, an there, there, No, there's a lot of actors who endorse other people's products. Well, you right. created your own product. That's, 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 that's amazing. That's amazingly different. Thank and, you. and that's where my husband as a businessman, because he came from a business background, I didn't know anything. And, you know, we did it on our own though. In the beginning, bankers would, banks wouldn't touch us. And, uh, bankers now they love us and they're like they're like what was your you know what was what what was your incentive and we're like to survive we were newlyweds <laughs> you know we were we both gave up basically what we were doing to be together and um, he had the business background he had started many businesses throughout his life and probably if I would have been married to him all those years he would have just had them and kept adding but he would just he'd get bored and start another one so but he he knew he knew he said you know selling is selling. Um, so it's been his, his background and I guess my, in front of the camera and all those years of pageants and all those years of stand up and all those years of just doing everything. You know, I, I had never sold in, in my life on a store or I would never worked in a restaurant, but I guess I just have a natural sales ability. <laughs> well, are you saying that, well, it, when you do the home shopping network, is that, is there an art to that? Have you, have, have you like well, developed a whole style? There is because you you are only as good as what you sell per minute. So they expect you to make um twenty five to thirty five hundred dollars a minute on air for them. Whoa! And, yeah. So um, and that's probably low. It's probably it could be higher than that. That used to be at the low end. So, so so you're not you're not judged by your laugh, you know, or or the laughter you get. You're judged by how much you're moving product. And so they give you a target, like we would like you to do blah 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 in this hour. And some of the hours, like if it's a Saturday night hour, is weighted heavier than if I'm on like at seven in the morning on Thursday or something like that. Like the hours don't have the value that they would do in prime time. So, um, and then sometimes it's kind of like, we always kid and say, it's kind of like real TV because if you follow, I'll sometimes sell, follow someone selling a vacuum cleaner. It's not the best lead in for my product. You know, it's like, I'm better if I follow right. someone selling apparel. If there's a complete art to it, I've seen many actors that, that are just, you know, they're, they're just repping somebody's brand or they are the, the face of it. They can't do it. They cannot do it at all. Like they just... Because they they're not believable. They're, they're do, you, do you um are you watching those numbers while you're doing it? You used to be able to watch the numbers. Um, so HSN was bought by QVC about two years ago. QVC is the largest of of all the shopping networks, and yeah. before that, HSN you could watch in real time your numbers. Um, or you could see how many people were on the phone lines. Well, now it's everything. They're, they're on phones or on iPads. They're on. They're all over. The, they're buying every which way. But it, back then, it was mainly phone calls. And you could see the if you could if you would say one word like something that would catch their attention. Like I don't know what you know. This bra's you know the most supportive bra. It's going to give you this incredible lift. It's going to make your clothes look smoother. And then all of a sudden, you'd see the lines just. You'd say something, and the lines would just light up. And wow. then you could really see the lines climbing from 400 people to 500 to 600 to over a thousand. And it's just mesmerizing. And then QVC comes along and a year in, they go, okay, we don't want you looking at the screens anymore. They're you're done. <laughs> really? Really? Why? They just, they want to sell at the same, I guess the same kind of exuberance and the feel the same way, whether you're looking at the numbers, because you do, 
you do some people just tend to stare at the numbers and you can see people looking at the monitor, but um, they just didn't, you know, but I have to tell you, it doesn't bother me at all. And here's the weird thing about it is I know when a product's taking off without anybody telling me anything, I can just, I feel energy. I don't know what that is. Maybe I'm just psychic, but um, (laughs) they'll throw throw crazy, crazy uh, numbers at you. But on any given day, what we have, what's called a today's special, it's like this, the sale of the day and it anchors the show and it starts at midnight and you go on for about literally eight to 10 hours during a 24 hour period. And, um, you, if you're having a successful TS today's special, then usually the rest of the day for everybody else is successful. But, um, we often sell, I mean, we'll sell hundreds of thousands of units in those days. And it's like, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around doing that amount of sales, but that's what direct to consumer is about. And that's why my yeah. husband in love with it. The first time I went on, I just wanted to be on TV, right? It had been a couple of years since I had been on TV. And we get on to HSN, a little beginner's luck. They knew me from up all night, had some product. I get on and we sell out in 10 minutes. And I'm like making jokes. And my husband's back there counting dollars and he's off stage and he's going, oh my gosh, just to be good. And that buyer brings us to her office and he goes, what? she goes, when can you guys come back? And I'm like, next week, not thinking that we needed product to sell. <laughs> so, you know, it was all about, it, it was just, I just wanted to go back on air. I was happy to be on television, not thinking that, oh, I actually need something to sell next week. So it took us three months to get it together. Now we actually design, manufacture, you know, produce everything, um, ship it. It's, it, it's, we do everything. We have our own design staff and sewers in-house we don't sew the product in-house it's it's made all over the world where, where do they actually manufacture the ah bra well i mean we sell actually thousands of SKUs. that's just one of our items i mean yeah, I, know. I, know, I know yeah but, but um it is so we've made it all over we've made it in canada israel uh, we have some that are made in turkey right now um china taiwan um we, we so we manufacture in factories all over the place, but so we, we're, doing, we're doing more pajamas and loungewear right now. So you know, you look for different factories that that you know. We actually have someone that lives in Taiwan that um, goes looking for product for us. You know, so it's, so it's is, a very- is that is that a, a a result of COVID that, that pajamas and loungewear <laughs> are are big right now? You know, it's semi. Um, I'll say a, it's on fire at HSN. It's loungewear and athleisure has been, I think Casey will know this has been coming, has been in style for women for a long time. Like women have just been more comfortable wearing their athleisure. I mean, you see these stars running around, but I think now it's that we've been home. It is crazy. Our business has just been great. So they asked, actually asked me to produce a whole line of loungewear and pajamas for them. So I do. Yeah, actually your the answer to that is yes. And yes. Okay. Well, I know that you do a lot of charity work and and you you support a lot of various charities. And um, uh, I saw where you donated, you were where you manufactured masks and donated them to healthcare workers. Yes. Yes. Well, in the very beginning, we didn't we didn't make them. We, We were able to get them from some of our factories immediately from China and Taiwan. So we were able to get, you know, I think 10,000, 20,000. So I, I dispersed them with local hospitals and they were so thrilled. It was amazing in the beginning. I mean, they were just kind of the surgical masks that you see on your doctors, but they were thrilled to have those. And then, you know, um, then they, people started to be able to get them. So we started uh, making really pretty ones. So we make really pretty ones. We donate some, we sell some at really great prices to HSN, but we were very 
we were thrilled to be able to donate to hospitals and we still, anything that they need, if they need it, we're, we're there for them. That's, That's amazing great. of you. Yeah, no, it's great. It was, it was such an amazing feeling to walk in. I walked, it was my doctor's. He was, he's head of, uh, cardio, uh, cardiovascular at this one hospital and to walk in and bring him his mask. And they were, the, the, the girls, the nurses were like crying. Aww. Uh. No, one, no one knew in the beginning. I mean, no one knew anything about this disease or, you know, what would happen, you know, so the masks were so vital. So just a little something. Well, Rhonda, this, this, this is great. I, I wish uh, after this nightmare of COVID is over, uh, I wish you could uh, come on my show or, or, I, or I could come up, come to whatever show you're doing these days. Yeah. That's actually a big fan question is if your show is going to come back in any form. Yes. Well, it's so funny because we've been talking about just in-house. We've been doing my little weekend Rondisher social hour and it's really taken off. Um, it's taken off to the point where I've actually got, have a lot of people from LA reaching out to me for different things. I know, you know, I never get too excited about that. And you know, 20 years later, cause you never know, mm. but, um, even a reality project, but, um, I was speaking to some people from one of the comic cons and they talked about rebooting up all night within their world. And, wow. and, yeah, and here's the fun thing is I actually own the name. And we after USA gave up the name Up All Night, not not you know, not the USA name, but the Up All Night name, after they gave it up, my husband and I kept it up for television. You know, when you when you trademark a name, you can you know, it's either like for apparel or whatever. It it, it can't be for everything, but we have it for television. So I actually we have the rights to Up All Night and we've had them for many years. That's great. Well, okay, cool. So, um, so uh, NBC did a short-lived uh, uh, sitcom um, with what was her name, um, Christina Applegate, and it was called Up All Night. I don't know if you remember that. A few years ago, and we reached out, we sent them a cease and desist, and they basically laughed in our face because it's like whose pockets, whose pockets were deeper. But then that show went away, so we still retain the name, you know, and, and all these years. So it would be really cool that they would just basically stream it, and then I would go to the conventions, and because I still have a tremendous amount of fans and yes, more fans. You. <laughs> I think what's happening now is that the, the, the people who grew up with me are at an age where they have, you know, some cash and they want, they love those kind of movies and they want, they want to see more of them again. And they also want product. And the cool thing is Joe Bob, and if you ever need anything for yourself, I can source just about any product. So um, a couple of these people reached out and asked me if I could make, you know, different product, you know, different um, apparel items for, you know, other people that are at these comic cons, which is easy for me to do. And I can source just about, I can source anything now. I mean, my husband and I know to do how to do that after years of being in the business. So, um, that's just a cool side part of the businesses, you know, you, you, should, you, should, you should definitely do a convention or two, Rhonda. Uh, 2000%. You, you would, you, you would be amazed at, at, uh, and what kind of reception you would get. And, and, um, I think so. I think it's now is the time. And I, cause I did the smaller ones, but, um, you know, uh, um, Cato Kalen's a friend of mine and Cato's been hosting wizard world for a few years and has done very well. It's sad that they're shut down right now, but they will be back. And he connected me with some, some people over there and we had incredible conversations because I, I didn't realize that, you know, Cato has been like doing, you know, so much merchandise and selling for them. And that's, you know, that leads you, you know, that's what it's all about, obviously. So um, I got really excited because the one thing I can do is stand up in front of a lot of people and sell products. Okay. <laughs> well, email me, Rhonda, I'll hook you up. <laughs> you can, sure you yeah, I can hook you up with a whole lot of conventions. So yeah, I would love to do that. 
<laughs> I would love to do that. And if you ever need product, I could hook you up because merchandise is worth that. So we need some, you know, I'm sure you've got some things, but you know, just keep it in the back of your head. All right. I will. I have one more fan question that kept coming up. Yeah. You. They, it's not really a question, I guess. They just want to know about your time working on Spaceballs. That is so funny because I had one line in Spaceballs, but Mel Brooks made makes every single person audition for every single role, even if it's one line. And he sees the people back in the day. He he had to see every, I mean, even for the smallest part. So a lot of, com- Spaceballs had a lot of stand-up comics in it. And I actually got a lot of comics. Uh, I brought a lot of comics to audition. But anyway, I, I wanted the part as, as, a, um, as the waitress. In, it's in the diner scene. But I, my hair was dark at the time. And he goes, you need to be a blonde. I'm like, I can wear a wig. And he's like, no, no, you just show up on the set and it's going to be okay. And so I showed up on the set and he fed me this line. And do you know, more people ask me about that than just about any acting role I've ever had. It is crazy. I get so many things to sign. So my time on the set was great. Mel Brooks was amazing. I worked with John Candy, or I mean, it was in the same scene. And it was just an amazingly delightful day and just watching them, you know, especially with the special effects. Got my phone ringing. But, you know, I, I, I love doing it and it's just very special, even though it was just one line, but you know, I was in a poster and a few other things and I get all this, I get all these things to sign from Spaceballs and I just get the biggest kick out of it. That's such a classic movie. It's amazing. You it's get to be so classic. Like I have friends that know every line in it, <laughs> including mine. Uh, so I'm right there with them. <laughs> well, thanks Rhonda. This is this oh great. I hope we can do this again. Thank you. And I want you back on my show too. Hey, we want you guys okay. together. I'm there. <laughs> Okay, well, I love you both. Thank you. Let's play again. For sure. Anytime. All right. Bye, guys. Or up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thank you.